0: Hello and welcome to edition number 1963 of the Whitney Talking News, which we are recording in the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney on Thursday, June the second. My name is Byron Russell and I edited this edition. Our readers today are Alison Granger, Marnie Leach, John Ashwell, and Peter B. The Maestro at the mixing desk tonight is Peter Brading whose technical skills will make this recording and its online edition possible. This week, we have news items from the Whitney Gazette and Oxford Times. In part one of this edition, we'll hear about a hugely successful charity football match and the possible rebirth of a local railway link. But our first two stories tonight are all about disgruntled residents and disgruntled councillors as parking charges and metres take effect in the town of Woodstock. The first item is read to us by Barney.
1: Council leader misspoke in TV interview on car parking. A town councillor was left feeling astounded after the County Council leader said paid-for parking was being supported on a BBC show. Paid parking bays and permit parking will be introduced in Woodstock Town Centre on Thursday, despite being opposed by the majority of residents in a consultation and in a town poll. In a discussion about whether there was any value in parish and town polls on BBC Politics South, host Peter Henley put it to Ms. Levman, leader of the county council, that the Woodstock town poll had been completely ignored. Ms. Levman said, These are things that have to be taken in context. There are other reasons for introducing parking charges in Woodstock and it was the decision of the town council to go with that. But Sharon Parnes, Woodstock town councillor, said the town council was, in fact, split, with some town councillors supporting it, others opposed. I couldn't believe my ears, he said, The council is split, and this issue has deeply divided the council and the community. The county council later said it was a live interview, and she misspoke. Ms Leffman explained there are other reasons for introducing parking charges in Woodstock, And it was the decision of the County Council to go with that. Woodstock householder Henry Lawrence, who started a petition against the new parking measures, said what Ms Levman said on TV was a complete fabrication. Mr Parne said the County Council leader should issue a written apology to Woodstock Town Council but he added that misspeaking in relation to the ultra-controversial Oxfordshire County Council parking proposals has become pervasive among several of her party colleagues and Councillor Andy Graham and Councillor Levman gave various indications that the scheme would only be considered where the community asks for it. The County Council has said the changes are aimed at improving the situation for residents, increasing the turnover of parking for businesses and encouraging more short journeys by foot. They are also designed to improve action against inconsiderate parkers while generating revenue to fund the scheme and to provide effective enforcement, according to the authority. Critics believe they will badly damage the town's economy. A spokeswoman for the county council said, these measures are a response to concerns from Woodstock residents.
0: Well... As might be expected, the introduction of metered parking in Woodstock has led to a veritable tsunami of controversy on social media. As a taste of one side of the argument, against parking, Peter has a follow-up comment from Liam Walker, Conservative County and District Councillor, which was reported in the Whitney Gazette this week.
2: And the heading for the piece is We will keep on fighting to keep parking free. Just over two years ago, another round of local council elections were on the agenda and on the horizon, and I got word that the Liberal Democrat-led coalition of the Oxfordshire County Council were looking at consulting on bringing in on-street parking charges in Woodstock. I couldn't quite believe this, after the uh, after decades of having free parking in West Oxfordshire, it only took a matter of months of the coalition to take over the county hall and this new uh, and this new tax was coming in by the back door naturally i wasn 't going to allow them to get away with it, and so uh, myself and councillor Mc- uh, Michael Mead set up a a uh, petition calling on your support to protect free parking in West Oxfordshire astoundingly and astonishingly just under 3000 residents kindly reported this campaign uh, and supported it and uh, showed that they didn't want to have parking charges. Uh, The important officers left about the need to have free parking uh, in the district. My political opponents weren't best pleased of the revelation and there were uh, cries of fake news and claims that we were just scaremongering because the elections were coming up. This of course was all nonsense and after the election the document was published about bringing in parking charges in Woodstock. The report highlighted that the county uh, council is expected to bring in a 100,000 a year from the charges. Now just imagine they decided to roll out schemes in other areas just uh, of of Burford or Whitney how much money they would make to implement more and more uh, measures in Oxfordshire I mean not look at what they're they're doing in Oxford Uh, fast forward uh, in this year and the parking machines in Woodstock conveniently landed on the streets uh, of the town just a week or so ago after the election earlier this month despite local businesses and residents and supporters um, these parking charges machi- the machines are in the town uh, and the first uh, from the 1st of June, the, con- co- the, the the coalition will be taking your money. Free parking in West Oxfordshire has been removed by the back door and we cannot allow them to roll out these charges in other areas. The leader of the county council was forced to apologise last week after she said the parking charges are because Woodstock town council wanted them. Actually, no such decision has ever been made by the town council, and in fact, they're very divided on the issue. The, uh, th- this bears a resemblance to the... Um, Liberal Democrats blaming the government for the implementation of the 20 mile per hour speed limit charge changes despite, the, uh, 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 despite there being a policy change in the county council. The truth matters uh, uh, and whilst rationally I accept some po- uh, polite uh, sorry I, I accept some politicians have forgotten this. We must ensure locally that we are home, uh, that, that we are honest with our residents. Oxfordshire used to be a place where the council just got on with delivering the services we all pay for out of council tax. But not now it is more about how they can uh, how they can hammer the motorist and gener- uh, and generate more uh, more income. I will always make sure we speak out against these dangerous anti motions and anti business policy. In decisions. Free parking is be removed by the back door. We cannot allow them to round out these charges in other areas.
0: And a typically forthright view there from, uh, from Liam Walker. Um, so let's move away from parking woes and go on to Alison, who's going to report on a target-beating charity football match.
3: That's right. My headline is Football Tournament for Late Player Smashes Target. A charity football tournament smashed its target and raised over £20,000 in memory of a well-loved player who died from cancer earlier this year. Dan Halflett sadly passed away in January, aged just 40, after a tough 18-month battle with bowel cancer. The tournament meant a just-giving page exceeded its target in raising funds for Bowel Cancer UK, which was Dan's wish. Organiser Colin Morris said, Dan fought tooth and nail against this cancer and tried everything he could to fight the disease. He was an important part of the Whitney Royals Football Club family from the moment he joined in 2010. He played, he managed... He even scored the odd goal, but most importantly, he was a friend and he supported other players when they needed help the most. It was Dan's wish that we raised a few quid for Bowel Cancer UK, and that is what we intend to do. The original target was set at £2,000, and that was smashed. It was up to £5,000, and that was smashed before it was raised again to 10000 Mr. Morris said, Thanks to everyone that has donated so far. It just goes to show what a well-loved bloke Dan was. On Saturday, May the 20th, Whitney Royals Football Club of the Whitney and District League organised the charity fundraising tournament for the Cancer Charity, which supports families affected by the disease while funding pioneering research into potential new treatments. 83 players took part in the day, including current Whitney Royals players from their Saturday and veterans' sides, plus retired players, ex-teammates of Daniel's and members of his family and friends. Many more spectators came to enjoy the sunshine at Clanfield FC's ground, where it was held. The event included support from the wider football community, with raffle prizes donated by Oxford United Football Club and Swindon Town Football Club. It was also supported heavily by local businesses, who generously donated prizes for the raffle. Away from the football, there was also a cake sale, tuck shop, food van provided by burgers, burgers and brews from Carterton, and activities for the children, including face painting, craft table and games. As a result of the day, the Whitney Royals FC fundraising page, created in memory of Daniel, reached their target of raising £20,000. Rob DeBanks, WRFC secretary, said it was a fantastic achievement and a fitting tribute to a much-loved son, father husband, and member of the local community. The fundraising page is still open for donations and can be found at justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash Daniel Halflett WRFC
0: And finally, in this first round of news items, John is going to tell us about a possible Whitney to Carterton rail link.
4: Yes, that's right. Wh- is headed up Whitney to Carterton Rail Link is Feasible and Profitable. There are renewed hopes that Whitney, Carterton and Ensham could get their own railway stations following the release of a new study which shows the plan is feasible despite planning obstacles. The preliminary strategic outline case for the Carterton-Whitney to Oxford Rail Corridor at CWORC was commissioned by the Oxfordshire County Council following proposals from the Whitney-Oxford Transport Group. The aim was to establish if there is a need for the proposed railway line and to give an indication of the likely investment required. The The study has shown that building a rail link would be feasible and could be justified in transport strategic terms but identifies a number of planning and environmental issues. It also warns about the high financial cost and difficulty involved in undertaking such a project. However, if it went ahead, it was predicted to be profitable. Duncan Enright, Oxfordshire County Council's Cabinet Member for Travel and Development Strategy, said, We are delighted to see the publication of this study exploring future sustainable options for transport between West Oxfordshire and Oxford. We really hope that it will prompt much-needed government investment into ambitious rail enhancement in Oxfordshire and take pressure off the overstretched A40. The study suggests the journey to and from Oxford could take as little as 23 minutes from Carterton, 16 minutes from Whitney, and 11 minutes from Encham. This would represent a saving of around an hour compared to anticipated bus and car journey times in 2031. However, construction costs of building the rail line alone are estimated by the report to be between 700 and £900 million. It would therefore be a long-term project, and would also depend on other rail improvements being funded and completed, including the planned upgrade of the North Cotswold line. West Oxford District Council welcomed this study and said it strongly, it strongly supports the work being done to explore the potential new rail link. Andy Graham, leader of West Oxford District Council, said reducing our carbon emissions from road Based transport is vital if we are so meaningfully going to tackle the emergency and help meet the 2060 National Zero Target. The County Council's A40 Improvement Program will clearly go a long way towards improving opportunities for walking, cycling, and public transport through bus priority measures and enhanced cycle and pedestrian routes. However, it is sensible to consider what more can potentially be done in the longer term, including the part that a rail-based solution could possibly play. And there's a picture heading this article of Whitney Station in around about 1960, showing a signal box and the railway station.
1: Whitney Carpenter died of overdose. A carpenter died after a drug overdose at his home address in Whitney, an inquest heard. Mark Lawrence, 46, was found dead on September the 15th by a friend after concerns were raised about his welfare. An inquest held in Oxford last Wednesday heard that Mr Lawrence's cause of death was given as multiple drug toxicity. Drug paraphernalia was found in his bedroom and a syringe which was believed to be unused was in his hand. He also had been diagnosed with COPD, a respiratory condition that can cause shortness of breath, wheezing and coughing. The inquest heard that this health condition would have made Mr Lawrence more susceptible to respiratory depression induced by drug use. A post-mortem examination revealed that Mr Lawrence had multiple substances in his system, the most notable being opiates, which suggested heroin use prior to death. This was found to be 120 micrograms per litre, which is within the range associated with fatalities, albeit at the lower end. Cocaine was also detected, the court was told. It is not believed that there were any suspicious circumstances surrounding the death, nor was there any third-party involvement The inquest heard that Mr Lawrence had difficulties with alcohol and drug abuse. A witness statement from Turning Point, Oxfordshire, was read out to the court. Turning Point is a drug and alcohol support service. The statement detailed that Mr Lawrence had been receiving support from Turning Point since 2015. The 46-year-old had also been in rehab in Liverpool in the weeks leading up to his death but had discharged himself on September the 13th. Oxford Coroner's Court was told that Mr Lawrence had been struggling with separation from his wife and four-month-old son who were in a mother and baby unit in Essex and this had led to his decision to leave. Mr Lawrence's father, Robert, gave a statement that was read out at the inquest. He said, Mark was the youngest of my two children. He had many friends and was very much loved by his family. We spoke a lot over the phone and we stayed close throughout his life. Oxfordshire senior coroner Darren Salter gave the conclusion of a drug-related death. He said, Mark Lawrence was recently in rehab and was in low mood. On September fifteenth, 2022, he was discovered deceased in his home address in Whitney and died due to multiple drug toxicity. Mr Salter told the inquest there was no evidence that Mr Lawrence had taken the drugs with the intent to end his life and, if anything, it was an accidental overdose.
2: Music, fun and protest as Pride is celebrated. Dozens of people turned out to fly the rainbow flag and celebrate the LGBTQ community at the Second Whitney Pride. Following a march through the high street, there was live music, dancing, food and drink on the lees. Organiser Beth Sherlock said, As chair of Whitney Pride, I would like to say how very proud I am of our town for coming out and supporting this event and showing how inclusive it can be. We had so many more people take part in the parade and attend the festival day. It had a fun, relaxed atmosphere, and it was amazing to see so many flags being worn with pride. She added Whitney Pride works hard to be there for the LBGQ community and holds regular prompt and groups uh, holds regular groups and events throughout the year, and welcomes all allies who support us. We are a pride that stands firmly with our trans family against the hatred and hostility they face on a daily basis. You don't have to understand someone else's gender or sexuality to allow them to be free to live their lives in peace. West Oxfordshire District Council flew the Pride flag on its wood-green uh, wood offices on Saturday to mark Pride Day. Councillor Andrew Coles told the crowd, it's absolutely wonderful to see so many of you here and showing just what an open, uh, inclusive and tolerant community we are in Whitney and across West Oxfordshire. As a gay member of our community, I know just how important Pride events are, and I'm absolutely thrilled that my first official engagement as Deputy Chair of the West Oxfordshire District Council is to be here today. Mr Coles thanked Whitney Town Council and local businesses whose sponsorship have ensured that the event stays free. He added... Pride just isn't about enjoying ourselves and having fun. For many members of our community, they still face dreadful persecution and discrimination. And I'm thinking especially of those tra- of our trans community because they really still face terrific stigma on a day-to-day basis. Uh, so, while we enjoy ourselves, let's not forget them. He also asked the crowd to remember LGBTQ people around the world facing oppression. Mayor Owen Collins added, Thanks to all the people who are organised this event on such a beautiful day. And to laughter, he added, even the sun decided to come out. He said, This day was about pride. And he still feels proud to be part of the Whitney community, which celebrates all its members. But added, Pride isn't just a celebration, it's a protest.
3: Villagers have six months to save their pub. Villagers have been told they now have six months to save their local pub for the community. Leanne Charlotte was a child when her parents ran the Red Lion in Yarnton for ten years. Now the Admiral Tavern's hostelry has closed and she is leading a bid to declare it as an asset of community value so that a community group can buy it and run it. The Red Lion shut in August after the number of customers fell by half. Landlady Kerry Osborne who had been running the pub for six years, said the cost of living was a factor in her decision to leave. Now the pub company has put the pub up for sale for £425,000 and Ms. Charlotte is leading a takeover bid. Ms. Charlotte said, ''We're waiting for the Plunkett Foundation to take us on and advise us and then we can move forward and eventually start to sell shares.'' We will need a lot of support to raise 425000 but I do think it's possible. A spokesman for Admiral Taverns said, We can confirm that the Red Lion in Yarnton is now within its full moratorium period of six months, in which the local community has the time to raise the funds to support an appropriate offer to buy the pub.
4: Warning as dog disease spreads. Dog owners are warned to remain vigilant as nearly 600 cases of a deadly pet disease have been recorded in the region. There have been 593 reported cases of lungworm across the southeast and at least 10 in Oxfordshire. According to an interactive map that tracks registered cases of lungworm, there have been cases in areas around Chipping Norton and Banbury. There were also reports of the disease in Abingdon, Wheatley, and Washington, and there are also three reported cases in Oxford and one in Waterbury. Lungworm in dogs was once rare in the UK, but it has become more common with the overall prevalence of the disease in the fox population, <clears throat> which is now standing at 18.3%. Lungworm is a parasitic worm. But unlike other intestinal worms, adult lungworm travels around the dog's body and can damage their lungs and other major organs. The larvae live in snails and slugs as well as the faeces from the infected dogs or foxes, which is where the slugs and the snails pick it up from. When these are eaten, either intentionally or accidentally, the lungworm larvae is ingested into the dog's digestive system. The larva can also be picked up from snail and slug slime, so any dog uh, who has toys or bowls left outside can pose a risk. Symptoms include excessive bleeding, excessive bruising, coughing, difficulty in breathing, loss of appetite, vomiting, diarrhoea, weight loss, tiredness, pale gums and seizures.
1: Over 130 new homes to be provided for RAF families. Over 130 new homes are to be made available to families of servicemen and women based at RAF Bryce Norton. A total of 134 new houses are being acquired by the Defence Infrastructure Organisation, DIO, which manages around 49,000 homes in the UK on behalf of the Ministry of Defence. RAF Bryce Norton is the largest station in the UK and home to around 5,800 service personnel. 58 of the houses were new purchases. DIO also purchased 76 homes that it previously held on long term leases in order to secure their tenure for future use. The brand new homes are on existing Taylor Wimpey, Bloor Homes, Linden Homes, and Bovis Homes developments around Bryce Norton. They will have a minimum energy performance certificate. EPC rating of B, which means they are highly energy efficient. The first families have already moved in, with all homes set to be occupied by the end of the summer. They were bought under the DIO's Capital Purchase Program, which identifies where there is a requirement for service family accommodation and determines the most efficient and economically viable means of delivering it. RAF Bryce Norton Station Commander, Group Captain Claire O'Grady, said, The new build properties provide high-quality and energy-efficient homes, further improving our SFA, Service Family Accommodation, estate. The properties have proved to be very popular with our service families and with the release of more properties by summer 2023, I would anticipate that the remaining properties will be snapped up. Alongside the investment in new homes, DIO said it also invested £155 million last financial year in improving existing accommodation, with around 20% of homes receiving an upgrade in the last 12 months. This includes a £73 million programme of works to improve the thermal efficiency of homes, which provided 600 homes with new boilers, 1,200 with new roofs, 1,740 with new doors and windows, and 900 with full external wall insulation. DIO Head of Accommodation, Air Commodore James Savage, said, I'm delighted with the progress the Capital Purchase Programme has made. It enables us to replace some of our poorest housing stock, with modern, high-quality and energy-efficient homes fit for our service families. We're equally committed to improving our existing housing stock and the investment in our current homes has made a real difference too, with around 20% of homes receiving a significant upgrade. Minister for Defence Procurement... James Cartledge added, This announcement shows our commitment to delivering good quality homes for the men and women of our armed forces and their families.
2: And continuing with the same theme, the next headline reads that empty land should be used for forces housing. West Oxfordshire MP is calling for a for a Brownfield site to be used for new military housing, the Whitney MP Robert Courts raised the issue in the House of Commons following a visit by RAF to RAF Bryce Norton by Minister of Defence Procurement James Cartledge MP. The large Brownfield site known as Kima North is to be uh, used to be a leisure centre in Carterton and is a site of a former military housing area, which was, dem- de- which was demolished but not replaced. Mr. Courts has been calling for the site to be used for new military housing for some time to support Bryce Norton's services personnel. Mr. Courts asked the Minister in the House of Commons to work together to prioritise using this brownfield site. In March, he visited military homes in Carterton following reports of poor conditions and saw mould in homes with children present and repairs that had been requested but not completed. He said it was unacceptable that RAF families were living in substandard conditions and said he had asked to uh, meet with uh, uh, with representatives from Vivo and Pinnacle Houses uh, that were the property managing company who have been uh, contracted by the Ministry of Defence to look after the properties. Mr. Courts will be leading a subcommittee review on the conditions of military homes. He said we always talk of prioritising the use of brownfield land, yet here's a prime site which has not yet been uh, built on. I was pleased to follow this up with the minister following his visit asking that if he can work, we can work together to find a solution to use the Brownfield site and provide the RAF in Bryce-Norton with the houses they fully expect.
3: Now two short items to end part one of this edition. Have a say on how to improve market towns. The District Council is carrying out a survey to find out how best it could support its market towns to keep them prosperous and attractive. West Oxfordshire District Council is to receive a million pounds funding over three years from the UK Shared Prosperity Fund. It's the government's replacement for EU funding following Brexit and is a key part of its levelling up agenda. The funding is to be used for building communities, supporting local businesses and improving employment and skills. Revitalising town centres is one of its priorities with potential projects including improved signage, better visitor information, public realm improvements as well as supporting independent businesses. And secondly... Cyclist hurt in bus crash. A cyclist was left in a critical condition after a crash with a double-decker bus near Burford on Friday. The collision took place on the A361 between Burford and Signet shortly before 9am. The cyclist, a man in his 70s, was taken to the John Radcliffe Hospital in Oxford for further treatment. No arrests have been made. Investigating Officer PC Alex Manderson said I'm appealing for any witnesses to this collision whereby a cyclist has sustained serious injuries to please come forward.
0: And now it's time for the regular editor's piece. Summer is a coming in, as the old song goes. As we are nearly at the start of the summer, officially it's on the 21st of June, this week I thought I would read you a couple of 19th century summer poems from both sides of the Atlantic. In Summer is a poem by the American poet Paul Lawrence Donbar that describes the heat of the summer, the freedom of lakes and lands, and the pleasures of work and rest. O oh, summer has clothed the earth in a cloak from the loom of the sun, and a mantle too of the sky's soft blue, And a belt where the rivers run And now for the kiss of the wind And the touch of the air's soft hands With the rest from strife and the heat of life With the freedom of lakes and lands I envy the farmer's boy Who sings as he follows the plough While the shining green of the young blades lean To the breezes that cool his brow He sings to the dewy morn No thought of another's ear but the song he sings is a chant for kings and the whole wide world to hear. He sings of the joys of life, of the pleasures of work and rest. From an earful heart without aim or art, tis a song of the merriest. O ye who toil in the town, and ye who moil in the mart, hear the artless song, and your faith made strong shall renew your joy of heart. O poor were the worth of the world, if never a song were heard, if the sting of grief had no relief, and never a heart was stirred. So as long as the streams run down, and as long as the robins trill, let us taunt old care with a merry air, and sing in the face of the of ill. We now go on to this side of the Atlantic, and Robert Louis Stevenson. His Bed in Summer is a playful complaint about long summer days. He writes from the perspective of a child, a child who is missing the loveliest of summer at bedtime as he has to go to bed by day. In winter I get up at night and dress by yellow candlelight. In summer, quite the other way, I have to go to bed by day. I have to go to bed and see the birds still hopping on the tree or hear the grown-up people's feet still going past me in the street? And does it not seem hard to you, when all the sky is clear and blue, that I should like so much to play, yet have to go to bed by day? Now it's time for part two, and we begin with our regular quiz and the answers from last edition on May the 25th. Good luck to you and to our readers at answering these. So, question number one. What freezes to form dry ice? Oh, some good guesses there. Yeah, um, I didn't do very well in O-level chemistry. It's actually carbon dioxide. Next question. What is measured in Curie's?
1: Some sort of, some sort of radiation,
0: is it? Congratulations, yes, it is radioactivity. Yeah. Yep. Yes, congr- well done. Yep. Um, which big cat lives in the cold north of Europe, Asia and North America? It's not quite. It's also a make of aftershave, I think, or deodorant. Lynx, (laughs) congratulations. Alison is doing very well this evening. Um, Which two-word term is given to poetry that does not rhyme? Black verse? It's a free verse. Free verse, yeah. And finally, to which three parts of the body does the medical term ENT refer? And everyone gets that, yes. Well, thanks very much to our readers. And now for this week's quiz, which has a historical theme. No shouting out the answers. Number one, which big event happened on June the 6th, 1944? Number two, which emperor launched the first Roman invasion of Britain? And for a bonus point, when? Multiple choice now. How long did Queen Victoria's reign last? Was it 75, 83 or 63 years? Another multiple choice. When was the earliest written reference to the town of Whitney? Was it 1066, 969, or 1173. And last of all, the MP, William Huskisson was the first Briton to die in a train accident. Which train was it? And a bonus point if you know the date. Moving on, and three deaths were reported in the Whitney Gazette this week we're saddened to announce the following names and dates. On May the 21st, Mervyn Reese. On May the 23rd, John Swinburne, and also, on the same day, Wendy Blackall. Our condolences to their friends and family. And so we move back to our news. And first of all, we have a story from John, which is about a bomb hoax at a local school in Woodstock.
4: School bomb hoaxer rebuked by politicians. Politicians have praised the police for their swift response and criticised, in inverted commas, trolls who masquerade under the internet. After an individual threatened to bomb a Woodstock school, After the claims were reported to Thames Valley Police, an investigation was quickly conducted and the police confirmed there is no credible threat. Whitney MP Robert Courts said he had been in touch with the police and was reassured by their quick and thorough response to the threat. He said, I am very confident in our police force's ability to handle this disturbing threat threat, um, on one of our schools in West Oxfordshire. The safeguarding of children is of paramount importance. Andy Graham, West Oxfordshire District Council leader and Woodstock County Councillor, said the incident was a lesson for everyone not to use this sort of language which can only sow discontent through misinformation. He said those trolls who masquerade under the internet and social media spread fear which is unforgivable. Free speech is to be protected, but not like this appalling example of threats that have have to be taken seriously. Conservative group leader West Oxford District Council, Michael Mead, said schools can be a worrying time for many students, especially for those going through exams. Bomb threats are not a joke, and I cannot comprehend how someone sits online and finds it funny to send threats to schools.
1: Longest living red kite dies at the age of 29. The oldest red kite on record has died after being injured, despite efforts to save him. Aragon, a 29-year-old bird, was found in Bryce Norton, near Carterton, by school children. He had been attacked. The bird was taken in by Chrissy Gaines, who runs a rescue program for owls and other birds of prey in Stonesfield. But despite being treated for its injuries, he died. Aragon was one of the original Spanish red kite chicks to have been reintroduced into the Chilterns. And he lived three years longer than the previous olded recorded red kite. The average lifespan of a red kite is ten years. Ms Gaines said he came from Spain as a chick as part of the reintroduction programme. He was released on an estate in Stokenchurch and eventually made his way to Bryse Norton. Everyone is amazed that this bird has lived this long. When my friend from my British Trust for Ornithology told me, I couldn't believe it. We did our best to save him, but I think his age got the best of him. Thirteen young birds were first brought over from Spain and released in the Chilterns, in an area on the border of Buckinghamshire, And Oxfordshire in July 1990. A similar scheme had also started in Scotland and further reintroductions followed in both countries over the next four years with the first birds successfully breeding in 1992 and by 1996 at least 37 pairs had bred in southern England. A spokesperson for British Trust for Ornithology said, It's amazing to think how the UK's red kite population has recovered since this remarkable bird was released as a youngster. The UK is now home to some 4,400 pairs of red kite, up from just a couple of hundred in the mid-1990s. In the 16th and 17th centuries, red kites were one of the most common birds of prey in England, and yet by the 19th century, the entire population had been wiped out, as they were considered a threat to livestock. The RSBP has described the reintroduction programme as one of the UK's biggest conservation success stories. The birds eat mainly carrion and worms, but are opportunistic and will occasionally take small mammals.
2: Oxford is revealed as the greenest city. Oxford has been named the greenest city in England, according to a UK environment magazine. The ENDSN's ends report covers environmental uh, uh, policy, business and how how environmental issues affect corporate strategy. The publication ranks the country's largest urban centres and after considering the green credentials of cities using more than 30 environmental factors, Oxford has come out on top finishing ahead of Barnsley and Cambridge. According to the data examined by the ENS report, Oxford has the fourth highest recycling rate in the country and the fifth largest number of electric uh, charging devices per 100,000 people in England. Anna Railton, city councillor and cabinet member for Zero Carbon Oxford and Climate Justice, said, we are home to the UK's first zero uh, emissions zone. Uh, It was a pilot, and we're Europe's most powerful environmental uh, EV charging hub. We hold the UK's first citizens' assembly on climate change and have recently launched the exciting Clean Heat Streets project, along with many other pioneering projects. The former Lord Mayor of Oxford, James Fry, said he was particularly proud of the council's initiative in establishing a zero-emission zone in the city centre, which is due to be expanded soon. The zero-emissions zone charges motorists to drive through the city and has raised nearly £700,000 since it was launched.
3: Clarkson challenges star-owned football club. Yes, yes, we're back to Jeremy Clarkson. Jeremy Clarkson has told Hollywood-backed Wrexham Football Club that his Oxfordshire team is coming for them in a public challenge. The TV presenter sponsors amateur team Chadlington FC through his Diddley squat farm in the village. Chadlington has shot to fame as the setting of the Amazon hit show Clarkson's Farm, which is filmed in the village. (coughs) The football club featured in season two. Clarkson's club finished seventh in Division 1 of the and District League this season. But the former Top Gear presenter believes that Chadlington has potential. Wrexham have just been promoted to the Football League after they were backed by Hollywood stars Ryan Reynolds and Rob McKelleny. Mr Clarkson tweeted, OK, Wrexham, Chadlington FC is coming for you. Following this... Irish bookmaker Paddy Power has released the odds on what the outcome of a Chadlington FC v Wrexham FC match to be. The bookmaker states a draw would be 50 to 1 odds, while a Chadlington win would be 150 to 1. Rachel Kane, a spokesman for Paddy Power, said, at 150 to 1 to win, Jeremy Clarkson's Chadlington would definitely need to find their top gear if they're to lure Ryan Reynolds and Bob McKillaney's Wrexham side into a challenge match. It may come to diddly squat, but we'd love to see what might happen if the Hollywood heavyweights take the ball.
4: The very last word on the previous article should have been bait and not ball. And now two short items. Firstly, trial for man accused of magic mushroom deal. A man has pleaded not guilty to dealing in magic mushrooms. Appearing before Oxford Crown Court on Thursday, Charlie Bromley, 43, of Minster Road, Bryce Norton, denied possession with intent to supply 23.6 grams of the psychoactive fungus and possession of a bladed article, which was a Stanley knife, in a public place. Prosecutors say he was intending to supply the Class A drugs that were found on him when he was stopped in Carterton on October 24th, 2021. Recorder Samantha Pressland said the case um, down for a was now down for a warned list trial, meaning that the two-day case could be called on at any time in the two week period beginning on november the sixth, she granted Bromley unconditional bail. <clears throat> and secondly, a death from drink and drugs. A twenty-two year old from Woodstock died after taking a drug and alcohol overdose, an inquest heard. Toby Wood of Rosamond Drive was found dead in the bathroom of his home address on january the twenty first. An inquiry held in Oxford on Friday heard he had consumed alcohol and drugs the evening before he was found. Mr Wood's cause of death was given as morphine and ethanol intoxication. Assistant Coroner Nicholas Graham ruled the death was drug related.
1: More fun on the farm for kids with 250,000 play area. A new 250,000 adventure attraction for children has opened at a West Oxfordshire farm attraction. Fairy Dell, which features 20-foot-high mushrooms, interactive games and tunnels, has been built at Fairy Tale Farm near Chipping Norton. The playground is around 480 square metres in size, and is the farm's biggest investment since its initial opening in 2013. Fairy Dell is designed to capture the imagination of children of all abilities, the company has said. It has a wide, raised walkway throughout, suitable for wheelchairs, and a giant, accessible mushroom with interactive games which run throughout the structure. On the ground, there are balancing beams and a log hopping trail alongside an accessible pathway. The attraction is also packed with tunnels, climbing walls, and an, and an embankment slide. Fairy Dell was the idea of fairy tale farm founders husband and wife duo Nick and Nicola Leicester. Mr Leicester said, this development will create a magical new themed area of the farm and has been designed around the different levels in this part of the site. It will offer a completely unique and immersive play experience, which will be a wonderland for children under the age of 10. Importantly, the whole development will be a sensory experience and large parts of it will be wheelchair accessible, including all the raised walkways. This really will be the most magical play area ever. Over the past ten years, we have welcomed hundreds of thousands of people through our doors who have enjoyed our range of animals interactive play and fairy tale themed walks and our fairy Dell development will take the experience to new levels quite literally. Fairy tale farm is working with Shakespeare's England the tourism body for neighbouring South Warwickshire to help the farm gear up for its busiest summer of trade since before the Covid pandemic. Sean Smith from Shakespeare's England said, Fairytale Farm is a fantastic example of how young families can connect with the great outdoors in a fun and engaging way. Admission into Fairytale Farm, which includes entry into Fairy Dell, starts at £7.19 per person when booked online while under-twos and carers go free.
2: Dog loves life after new heart surgery. A pet dog is enjoying life after successfully undergoing pioneering heart surgery. Nine-year-old Stanley, a bulldog cross who lives with his owners in Whitney, was discovered to have been suffering from a heart problem by vets when he was taken to uh, have a, an inspection of his leg uh, bones. Vets in East West, uh, Veterinary Surgery in Swindon detected Stanley had a mass on his heart, and this was restricting the flow of blood to his organs. Following a discussion with his owners, A specialist cardiology team carried out a rare animal invasive procedure to uh, to access Stanley's heart uh, via a large vein in his neck. A stent was implanted to relieve the pressure being caused by the heart-based mass. Stanley has since... um, made a strong recovery from the keyhole surgery and is enjoying being back at home with his family. His owner, K Webb, said we were obviously mortified and worried and hoped that it would get him a better quality of life. Stanley is now back home following the operation and he's very happy to continue his favourite pastime of sleeping, together with playing games and doing training exercises and enjoying local walks. Stanley was able to go home the following day after the surgery with Kieran, uh, his, his owner, um, and the clinical de- director at Eastcott saying it's great to see him recovering so well. The American European ECVS specialist at veterinary surgery and cardiology said Eastcott's cardiology team uh, planned this keyhole surgery to relieve the compression on Stanley's blood vessels in order to improve Stanley's cardiac output and prevent him from developing signs of liver congestion and heart failure. For this to be done, Stanley's heart was accessed using specialised catheters and wires through the jugular vein in his neck, while the procedure was guided by fluoroscopy. We deployed a stent, which would be uh, left in the tumour, Uh, which would lift the tumour up and open the blood vessels for them to be able to to flow freely. We are pleased that his heart uh, stent was successfully deployed and normal blood flow was restored. This highlights one of the huge benefits of minimally invasive surgery, a low-level risk, and predictable rapid recovery for most patients. And it's great to see Stanley recover so well, surviving and returning to normal exercise and activity levels. And there's a nice photograph of Stanley looking very thoughtful.
3: Blenheim welcomes new lambs to flock. The Blenheim Estate is welcoming nearly 200 new lambs to its flock of sheep. The lambs are the first to be born on the estate of the Woodstock Stately Home since the arrival of Pedigree Hampshire Down Rams in September. A total of 190 lambs are expected, with 100 already having been born. The new lambs are more resistant to worms, which means the estate can reduce its use of chemicals and medical interventions. It is expected to take five years to fully transition the flock of a 1,000 Scotch Mills sheep. Farm manager Tom Locke said, We will be introducing new breeds to the flock over the coming years, so our sheep will start to look very different. The Hampshire Down rams will dominate, as they will make the sheep healthier. We're already Red Tractor certified, but we want to move towards more organic produce. So this is a major step on that journey. And I have a delightful picture here of the farm manager with a big grin on his face, holding up two lambs to have their photographs taken for us, one white and one black.
0: Thanks very much, Alison. Well, that ends the main news part of the edition for this evening so it's now time for a quick notice board but before that um, there were two birthdays among our listeners to celebrate this week Uh, mrs samantha wixey from whitney had her birthday on may the 30th and mr albert truman of ducklington had his birthday on may the 31st congratulations to you both from all of us here at whitney talking news And now there are a few weekend items which may be of interest which are happening over the next few days. At the Soldiers of Oxfordshire Museum in Park Street, Woodstock there will be a family drop-in Crafts and Activities Day on Friday, June 2nd where families can learn about the Second World War and D-Day in 1944 with themed family crafts and activities. For those who enjoy classical music at 8 o'clock on Friday, the Oxford University Sinfonietta will be playing a selection of Debussy, Shostakovich and Kurt Weill. That's at the University Church of St Mary the Virgin in the High Street, Oxford. Tickets are £6 and £15 and they're available on the door or by phoning 07496 524 On Saturday the 3rd of June there will be a party atmosphere at Blenheim with the annual Blenheim Palace triathlon starting at 9 o'clock in the morning full details are on the Blenheim Palace website www.blenheimpalace.com backslash watts on and finally book now for next week because on Wednesday, the twi- on Wednesday June the 7th the celebrated American blues singer and guitarist Bonnie Raitt, still going strong at 73, will be performing at the New Theatre Oxford at 7 o'clock. Tickets start at £35. Tickets for many of these events and more can be booked by going to www.eventbrite.co.uk backslash d backslash Kingdom. Whitney backslash events, or more simply, www.ticketmaster.co.uk. As well as listening to the USB stick you receive from us each week, there are several other ways for you to listen to all our editions, including the magazines. Whitney Talking News is available online via our new and easier to use website. WTN.org.uk Even if you have been to our website before, it's well worth revisiting as new features make it even easier to listen each week's Whitney Talking News online. Please remember to pass on these details to anyone who might like to listen to your weekly local news programme. So that's all for the week. If you're not listening online and have a USB memory stick... Please remove the stick from the playback unit and close the metal shield. Please remember to reverse the plastic address label on the yellow pouch before posting the stick back to us. Please do so as soon as you can, as sometimes we run out of labels and pouches, and then of course we cannot continue our service. Remember, if you wish to contact us, just leave a slip of paper in your pouch and we will telephone you. And don't forget to keep listening at the end of our programme for highlights of this week's Best Radio Listening and Audio Described TV. It's only left for me to thank the Whitney Gazette, the Oxford Anthology of Poetry and the Oxford Times for the content that we've used tonight. I'd also like to raise a very special vote of thanks to four local charities who have supported us this year to ensure that we can maintain our service to you. These are the Bartlett-Taylor Trust, the Brian Crawford Trust, the Whitney Town Charity and Whitney Town Council. Thanks also to our Mixmaster, Peter Brading, who's recorded this session on our classic computer, and to John Ashwell and Marnie Leach, who will be copying all the memory sticks later on this evening. A big thank you to our volunteers, Nigel James and Lynn Harding, who have been checking the pouches and memory sticks you have returned and keeping all our important records in the register. And finally, a big thanks to all our readers tonight, Alison Granger, Marnie Leach, John Ashwell and Peter B. Keep listening at the end of our programme, once again for an info sound item, which gives some highlights for the week's best radio listening and audio described TV. But until then... I know everyone would like to say goodbye, and so until our next edition, goodbye.
3: Soundings. Features from across the UK.
5: Now for a look at some of this coming week's radio highlights, starting with Saturday, June 3rd. And the sound of leather on Willow with Test Match Special, day three, hopefully, of England versus Ireland. A warm-up to the Ashes, which comes in a couple of weeks' time. 10.15 to 7pm on Radio 5 Sports Extra. Drama, Bed for the Night. One evening, Daniel opens his door to Amos, who asks to stay the night. Three o'clock, Radio 4. In Praise of Evil, a gripping drama about Monteverdi's last opera led to changes of blasphemy and immortality. You can hear it at five o'clock on Radio 4 Extra. Opera on three, and Mozart's The Magic Flute from the New York Met is on Radio 3 at 6.30 on Saturday evening. And if you'd prefer the thwack of a tennis ball on a tennis racket, the French Open continues on Radio 5 Live Sports Extra on Saturday evening from 7.30. Sounds of the 80s with Gary Davis is on Radio 2 at 8. Well, David Mellor's Melodies includes a spotlight on Luciano Pavarotti, 9pm Classic FM. Sunday, June 4th, and the test match continues on Radio 5 Sports Extra. While well, elsewhere on Radio 4, The Archbishop Interviews. Justin Welby talks to interviewees about their inner lives. In this episode, it's John Cleese. 1:30, Radio 4. The Today Debate with Michelle Hussein is on Radio 4 at 5 p.m. 1, 2, 3, 4, The Beatles in Time, a profile on Radio 4 Extra at 5.30 on Sunday evening. Well, Tony Blackburn's Golden Hour continues on Radio 2 at 7pm. Followed by Sunday night is Music Night. While on Classic FM, Nature Notes with Alan Titchmarsh, Music and the Countryside, focusing on trees and plants. It's 9 o'clock on Classic FM. On to programs then that are serialized right throughout the week, Monday to Friday, same time, same radio station. Book of the week Blue Machine, How the Oceans Shape Our World, 945, Radio 4. Composer of the week is Rossini, that's at noon, on Radio 3. Nagamanchetti has news, experiences, stories, and interviews from around the UK on Radio 5 Live. Every day, Monday to Wednesday at 11am, and Adrian Charles takes over for Thursday and Friday. Close encounters with the reopening of the National Portrait Gallery. Martha Kearney invites ten notable people to discuss their favourite portrait of a Great Britain. It's on all week at 1.45, Radio 4. Smooth Classics with Zeb Soans is on Classic FM every night at 7pm. Well, The Book of Bedtime is a continuation of The House of Doors, 10.45pm, Radio 4. So highlights then for the rest of the week, with Monday, June 5th. And the Round Britain Quiz, three quarters of the way through the competition, three o'clock on Radio 4. Don't forget, the French Open continues in the world of tennis, with action on Radio 5 Live Sports Extra, between 1 and 5 or 7.30 at night. Back to the afternoon, though, and Barbara Allen, English Civil War, set drama, is on Radio 4 Extra at 3 o'clock, if you'd prefer something a little more story-wise. The Unbelievable Truth, a panel game with Paul Merton, is on Radio 4 at 6.30. Radio 3 in Concert includes works by Haydn, Ravel and Strauss at 7.30 on Radio 3 on Monday evening, while Fever, the hunt for Covid's origin, is on Radio 4 at 9pm. Alternatively, The Blue Show, with Keris Matthews on Radio 2 at the same time. Tuesday, June 6th, and Fever, the hunt for Covid's origin, part 2, is on Radio 4 at 11am. Idle Talk, an explanation of Wales' oral tradition, follows that at 11.30, also on Radio 4. The Afternoon Concert, works by Holst, Debussy and Mozart, is at 3 o'clock on Radio 3. Alternatively, you might prefer Shortcuts, documentaries and audio adventures on Radio 4 at the same time. It's an evening with Radio 4 Extra, starting with Flywheel, Shyster and Flywheel at 6.30, a quiz who goes there at 7pm, followed by No Commitments at 7.30 and the TED Radio Hour at 8pm. As it's a Tuesday, In Touch, the latest news for the blind and partially sighted is on Radio 4 at 8.40pm. Following that on Radio 2, The Jazz Show with Jamie Cullum, 9 o'clock, Radio 2. On to Wednesday... And there is more cricket, actually, to tell you about. And it's a test match special between India and Australia, which is actually taking place at the Oval. Uh, It's between 10 and 6.30, 10 in the morning and 6.30 in the evening on BBC 5 Sports Extra. All, of course, as I said earlier, building up to the ashes. History's Secret Heroes, Stories of Women War Heroes, is at 11.30 on Radio 4 in the morning. While his drama in the afternoon, Born to be Wild, the young Oscar Wilde, embarks on an American tour. 2.15, Radio 4. Last September is a dramatisation of Elizabeth Bowen's novel set during the Irish War of Independence. 3 o'clock, Radio 4 Extra. There's more Paul Burton panel games with Room 101... A new series at 6.30 on Radio 4. That new series continuing on at that time. Radio 3 in Concert is from Norwich Cathedral and include works by Byrd, Taliesin, Hildegard of Bingen. 7.30 on Wednesday evening, Radio 3. And the Folk Show with Mark Radcliffe continues on Radio 2 at 9pm. Thursday, June 8th. The cricket continues at the Oval, that special between Australia and India. While crossing continents, Ukraine, the men who don't want to fight, is on Radio 4 at 11am. The afternoon drama is undercover, a close-to-home thriller, at 2.15 on Radio 4. While ramblings, an inspirational story told to Claire Balding by two friends as they walk along the Thames Path, is on Radio 4 at 3pm. Princess, the last in the series, considers the animation character she on Radio 4 at 4 o'clock. While Unite, comedy with Mark Steele and Claire Skinner is on Radio 4 at 6.30pm. Reminder, the French Open continues in the evening until its second week on BBC Sports Extra, 5 Sports Extra, from 7.30 in the evening. Well, if you'd prefer Radio 3 in concert... Programme of works by Handel from St. James's, Spanish Place, at 7.30 on Radio 3. And rounding off Thursday, The Country Show with Bob Harris at 9 o'clock on Radio 2. Lastly, Friday, June 9th, while the cricket continues at The Oval, Charles Paris, So Much Blood, a welcome return of the mystery drama starring Bill Nighy as the hapless actor and detective. Radio 4. on Friday morning. Afternoon concert on Radio 3 is works, including Mozart, Copeland and Arvo. 3 o'clock, Radio 3. The news quiz rounds off the week on Radio 4 at 6.30, the topical comedy panel game. The semi-finals of the French Open on Radio 5 Sports Extra, 7.30pm. While add to Playlist the return of the multi-award winning programme, which explores the connections between different musical genres. They begin on a mule and end on the streets of Lisbon. I kid you not. That's it. Thank you to Angela for the highlights this week. May I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable one of radio listening.
6: Now we'll look at John's choice of audio-described television programmes that might interest you. In the week ahead, starting with Saturday the 3rd, and ending Friday the 9th of June, twenty twenty-three. And this is Lizzie from Otley Talking News, reading for you. On to Saturday the third. Would you like to try four recipes that will not break the bank? All will be revealed in the last of the present series of Mary Berry Love to Cook, at eleven thirty a.m. on BBC One. Four new families are welcomed by Angelica Bell and Tommy Banks to the Family Cooking Showdown on BBC Two at 12 noon. Ian recalls a past trauma that makes him question his relationship with Faith. And Paige receives some troubling news. Casualty is on BBC One tonight at 820 the body of a scientist is found in Loch Katrine, reminding Annika of Ibsen's Enemy of the People. Annika is on BBC One at ten past nine. How about a journey across one of the world's oldest civilizations? Ancient Egypt by Train with Alice Roberts will take you along the Egyptian rail network to the Pyramids and the Avenue of the Sphinx. It's on Channel 4 at 9.10pm. Let's end the day with an Oscar-winning film. A down-on-his-luck fighter is given a shot at the big time in Rocky, the first of the Rocky series. And it's on ITV1 at 10.15pm. On to Sunday the 4th. Key politicians and public figures are in the hot seat at 9am. Sunday with Laura Koonsberg on BBC One. Homes Under the Hammer is on BBC One at 11 Each family has to create a ten pound one pot wonder in Family Cooking Showdown on BBC Two, also at eleven. Charlie Ross heads for the Kent County Showground for Bargain Hunt at twelve noon on BBC One. Your afternoon movie viewing is the warm hug of the film Paddington, and it's on BBC One at five past three. Alternatively, as a lethal virus puts the world at risk, can James Bond track down Blofeld and put an end to his plans? On Her Majesty's Secret Service is on ITV at 3.25. Disguised underwater cameras reveal the world of sea creatures. The team had made a sperm whale, yes, a life-size whale calf, complete with cameras, which quickly attracts the attention of an adult sperm whale. Spy in the Ocean is on BBC One at 7pm. Would you like to visit Tierra del Fuego, the world's most southerly inhabited place? That's what Simon Reeves' South America is doing in the last of this series, on BBC Two at 8. Annie invites Terry to Marlene's party in the hope it will help him make a fresh start. But will it? Part 4 of the period drama, Ten Pound Poms, is on BBC One at 9. Alternatively, if you are interested in tennis... In 1975, Billie Jean King and Arthur Ashe aimed to change the world for the better in this new documentary series, Gods of Tennis, on BBC Two at nine. Now for programmes that are on at the same time each weekday. Homes Under the Hammer at 1115 Bargain Hunt at 12.15 all week. Doctors at 1.45 every day, but not on Friday. Money for Nothing at 2.15pm. Escape to the Country at 3pm each day. All these programmes are on BBC One. Moving to ITV at 2pm is Dickinson's Real Deal on All Week. A countryside summer is on all week at 2:45 on BBC2. Great coastal railway journeys is on all week on BBC2 at 6:30. All the soaps are on their usual channels at their usual times. Looking now at individual programmes starting on Monday, 5th of June. A special compilation programme follows Sarah and Graham as they create a classic country house. Sarah Beeney's New Life in the Country is on Channel 4 at 8. Using the latest 3D scanning technology, Alexander Armstrong and Dr Michael Scott uncover the hidden history of three Italian cities starting with Naples in Italy's Hidden Cities, on BBC 4 at 8. DCI Bethel seeks permission to exhume Capon's body for DNA testing, but his team are unsure that he's pursuing the correct course of action. The final part of Steel Town Murders is on BBC 1 at 9pm. The documentary charting the story of the troubles in Northern Ireland with testimony from those whose lives it changed continues in Once Upon a Time in Northern Ireland on BBC Two at Nine. Vicky's grandfather, Ralph, recalls the gunfire and explosions he last witnessed as a teenager on Sword Beach in June 1944. Watch this moving documentary, Vicky McClure, My Grandad's War, on ITV at 9pm. This programme is repeated on Thursday at 1045 Tuesday the 6th. Shola's behaviour causes concern, and Val suspects she's hiding something. Find out what, in Waterloo Road... On BBC One at 8 pm. If you've been watching Steeltown Murders, you'll want to watch BBC One at 9 tonight, when a documentary featuring interviews with detectives at the heart of the real investigation and how, after 30 years, Wales' first serial killer was finally unmasked. Steeltown Murders. Hunting a Serial Killer, is on BBC One at Nine. Oasis lyrics, handwritten by Noel Gallagher, and a pair of trainers with a reserve of £4,000, cause a bidding war in the greatest auction, on Channel 4 at Eight. A 12-year-old girl is raped several times and West Midland's police quickly identify the suspect and bring him into custody. They have to rely on digital forensics until another girl claims she's been approached for sex on social media, and they are able to crack the arrestee's mobile phone. Forensics, the real CSI, on BBC Two at nine. How about ending the day with a romantic comedy film? Bridget learns that her barrister boyfriend has some unattractive qualities and is drawn again to the dastardly Daniel Cleaver. Bridget Jones' Edge of Reason is on ITV at 10.45pm. On to Wednesday the 7th. Simon Armitage's treasured harmonium, a pair of child's leather clogs, And a silver charm bracelet are some of the items to be mended in the repair shop on BBC One at 8. Clothes of West Africa is the theme of the challenges facing the needle workers in the Great British Sewing Bee at 9 on BBC One. David gives a demonstration to family and friends of coin flipping a method of forgery that uses silver taken from several real coins to create a counterfeit version. All they need is to round up enough money to get themselves started. The Gallows Poll continues on BBC Two at 9. Eddie Izzard, a.k.a. Sussey, visits counties Cork, Clare and Kerry in a new series of Extraordinary Escapes with Sandy Togsvig on Channel 4 also at 9. An estimated one in five pensioners is living in poverty. Dispatches follows four older people through winter as they struggle to make ends meet against a backdrop of high energy bills and soaring inflation. Britain's Forgotten Pensioners, is on Channel 4 at 10pm. Thursday the 8th. Mark has a chance to focus on things in life that really matter. His brother Big Mark wants to regain his confidence and the third brother Josh wants to experience things he couldn't while he was a footballer. Mark is Mark Wright, the reality TV star. And how he and his family get on is revealed in a right family holiday on BBC One at 8 tonight. Thirteen talented chefs compete for the ultimate prize of running the Palm Court restaurant in the Langham, London. But there are only seven spots available. Who will get through? Find out in five star kitchen Britain's next great chef on Channel Four at eight p.m. J.B. Gill and his rescue dog Nala join Phil for a country walk in the wild beauty of the North York Moors tonight in Great British Dog Walks with Phil Spencer on More Four at nine. Sir Michael Tibet dominated the contemporary classical music scene in the UK. Tonight's performance-based documentary of His Life features extracts from his music. Michael Tippett, The Shadow and the Light, is on BBC Two at 9pm. Also at nine, Claire Foy enjoyed researching the life of her on-screen character in The Crown and is now looking forward to delving into the lives of her own ancestors. Who Do You Think You Are? is on BBC One at 9. Is enough being done to give women the information and care they need with regard to contraception? Davina McCall's Pill Revolution investigates the struggle that women face and is on Channel 4 at 9. Finally, to Friday the 9th of June, Mrs McCarthy gets an unwelcome birthday surprise in Father Brown at 1.45pm on BBC One. The two remaining designers face the final challenge to create a practical and welcoming hallway that reflects their personality as well as their flair. The Big Interiors Battle, the final, is on Channel 4 at 8pm. Following teens at the Historic Houses in Kent, Chartwell House preserves a record of the public and private life of Winston Churchill. Hand-painted wallpaper is saved from ruin at Item Moat. And at Smallheath, Stage costumes which once belonged to Dame Ellen Terry are being conserved. Find out how they get on in Hidden Treasure of the National Trust on BBC Two at 9. A Locked Room Mystery is under investigation in Sister Boniface Mysteries on the drama channel Freeview 20, Sky 143, Virgin 130 Tonight at nine p.m. Dom and Kay visit Kirsty for help, and she divulges some classified information. Black Ops on BBC One at nine thirty p.m.
5: T.N.F. Soundings.